Welcome back to the Live, Learn, and Play podcast with Arkansas Children's. We are here with Dr. Laura Hollenbach, who is a pediatric gynecologist here at Arkansas Children's. Today, we're talking to Dr. Laura Hollenbach about endometriosis. Thank you for joining us today. My first question for you is, why did you get into pediatric gynecology? Sure. So um, I obviously did training in obstetrics and gynecology. Um, and then um, after kind of completing that training and looking at like, what's the next path in my career, was kind of looking for an area where um, there would be a lot, lot of opportunities for research um, and where there was a need. Um, and at the time, um, Arkansas Children's only had one person who practiced just here like intermittently kind of part-time uh, that had really kind of pioneered the idea of having a gynecology practice here. And so um, it seemed like a, a good opportunity. Um, I was lucky enough to match into a fellowship and did training and then came back here and then kind of grown the program. And, and now I just exclusively practice pediatric gynecology. So. And you said earlier there are only two pediatric gynecologists in Arkansas? That's correct. Yeah, so it's, um, it's a young field in medicine. Um, and so myself and then my partner, Dr. Kate Stambo, um, are the only two fellowship-trained pediatric gynecologists um, that have board certification in the state. So, and how long have you been at Arkansas Children's? Been here eight years now. Eight years, wow. And pediatric gynecology the whole time? Yes, ma'am. I did um, adult OBGYN as part of my practice early on and kind of did a hybrid. And then as the practice has grown, now I just exclusively do um, pediatrics and adolescents. And today we're talking about endometriosis. And can you tell us what is endometriosis? Sure. So endometriosis is when the lining of the uterus, which we call the endometrium, implants outside the uterine body itself and out typically into like the abdominal and pelvic cavity, although it can go other places as well. And then it acts like normal um, uterine lining, um, even though it's outside the uterus. And so it grows and then degenerates and then sloughs off, um, just like it would if it was in the uterus as part of the normal menstrual cycle. Sometimes it could even bleed, and then that leads to like inflammation and irritation. And what is the youngest age that you can get endometriosis? And it's typically thought of as something of reproductive age. So as early as someone's like first period, they can sometimes have symptoms and then all the way through menopause. Um, what are some of the most common symptoms in, in girls who do have this? Sure. So the most common symptom is typically like pelvic pain or pain with menstruation. Um, and that's typically what we think of, although there can be other symptoms. And so obviously, as you can imagine, that like mimics lots of other things as well. And, and that's hard because period pain is very common. So how do you distinguish between normal period pain and something that could be Sure, so that's kind of where we come into play as medical providers is um, thinking about what those other symptoms and history may look like. Um, so when we think about pelvic pain that's not relieved with typical like over-the-counter pain relievers um, or supportive care like you know heating pads or things like that that you would kind of classically think of, that makes us concerned. Um, if your kid's like missing activities or school regularly because of the pain, um, certainly other symptoms would be things like pain with urination or with bowel movements would um, kind of make us more suspicious, family history. Um, and then also it can be associated with like abnormal patterns of like their menstrual bleeding. So those are kind of like the red flags we think about. So as a parent with a teenage girl, you would look for, I can't control this pain with my normal stuff. Right. We might need to see a doctor. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So are there any early warning signs 
out there that can, you know, let you know that this might be a thing that your kid will struggle with? Um, there's not necessarily early warning signs, but things that we want to think of is like not minimizing symptoms or, or blowing it off. So what yes. we do know is that um, when they have done large studies looking at girls who have, or women who have endometriosis, up to like 40% report that they had symptoms before age 15. So a lot of them have this long history of very painful periods. Um, and then actually the average time to diagnosis for those people who identified symptoms when they're young is like nine years before they get appropriately oh, wow. diagnosed and sometimes treated. And so I think it goes into that idea that sometimes we normalize things thinking right. like, oh, well, I also had painful periods right. and so this is just normal. And so that's when we kind of look at those cues of like, okay, this this is not behaving normally or we're missing basketball all the time because of her period, things like that. So taking a moment to understand your kid might be feeling something that is a little bit different than yours. I think it's, we have a tendency to, oh, everybody has period pain. Like it's not any different. So listening to your kids is always a good advice for any of anything going on really. So how do you check for endometriosis when a kid comes in? Yeah, so the, the checking for it's the hard part, right? And I think that gets into the, the trickiness of it. So um, a lot of it comes from the history. So, um, and I think that's where sometimes it's useful if, for us because we talk to a lot of teenagers and adolescents to hear the things that they say versus the way that a 40-year-old woman may come into her gynecologist and the story that she gives. Um, so the history from both the patient and the parent is really important. Um, physical exam can be important as well, but it doesn't mean they have to have a pelvic exam and we can, we can talk more about that. Sometimes the pelvic exam gives us useful information, but it, we don't have to have one to make the diagnosis. Um, sometimes we use imaging because we need to rule out um, other things, right? Because like we mentioned, it can mimic other um, syndromes or diseases. And so sometimes we'll use like an ultrasound um, to look at the pelvic structures themselves. Um, and so those are kind of like your first line parts of like the workup, so to speak. You mentioned the pelvic exam, so you can see it on a pelvic exam typically? No, you can't, but you can find things that are suspicious for. So tenderness in certain areas, um, things like that can certainly like make you more suspicious versus if they didn't experience it. So it's a puzzle. You're yep. putting all the all pieces, pieces of the exactly. puzzle Great together <laughs> on this. I mean, it, it seems like you just have to keep looking for all these little symptoms when you can't see the biggest symptom yet. Right, so there's no like one test for endometriosis. So you can't like draw a lab or do a CT scan and be like, yep, that's what they have. So you really have to take in, kind of like you said, the puzzle, take in all the pieces and then ultimately come down to the, this is the, what makes the most sense. They don't make it easy on us, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> I mean, if, if only they could. All right, so what are the benefits of specifically seeing a pediatric gynecologist? Sure, so I think, um, Part of it, like we mentioned, is that the history sometimes is a little different, right? Like the words they used to describe or things, since we see adolescents all the time, right? Sometimes we hear different cues that we're like, oh, this sounds like a duck, walks like a duck to some degree. Um, versus if you're used to talking to older women all the time, you may hear their stories differently than we do, right? Um, the other thing is that they um, clinically present sometimes a little different in adolescence versus in adulthood. Um, surgically, um, if you if they do end up needing surgery, what you see um, when you're inside their abdomen looks different um, oftentimes in adolescents than it does in older women. So in older women, we classically think about these things we call like chocolate cyst and things like that, whereas oftentimes in an adolescent patient, it's more clear or vesicular is the kind of term that we use. And so if your eyes aren't necessarily trained to look for that, you may misdiagnose somebody. 
and then hopefully we provide an experience that's unique to, to kids and adolescents here at Children's Hospital. You mentioned the history. Do you ever have a pediatric patient that you suspect of endometriosis who has a, a parent who has it but maybe hasn't been diagnosed and you and the parents like oh this is normal because they're experiencing the same thing but they've been left undiagnosed yeah. how often does that happen um probably quite a lot and sometimes hard to know because if the parents right. never diagnosed then you know we, we may not 100 percent know but there's certainly good studies that talk about the role of um, what we call like parental modeling um, in patients' perception of like what's going on with their body. And so parental modeling is like a really big thing when it comes to painful periods. And so there's this idea where it's like if kind of how you normalize things, your kids take on as well, right? Um, whether it is normal or it's not, right? And so certainly painful periods is one of those ideas. And, and we do sometimes have moms that are like, once if we make the diagnosis of endometriosis, then they're like, oh gosh, I think that I probably had it too, they right? Have that or aha I have a moment now, right? of, oh no, if yeah. she has this, maybe <laughs> yeah, I, I did. This right. And they just may have grown up thinking it's normal to be in bed three days Absolutely. out of every month. Right. Well, and sometimes people are medically treated well, right? So they got on the right treatment, you know, but weren't necessarily like given the label, so to speak. Right. To, to fully understand what was going on, even. So if left untreated, what, what could happen if we don't catch this and get it treated? So sometimes nothing, right? So sometimes people can have endometriosis that's really not symptomatic. Um, but um, for symptomatic patients, I mean, obviously chronic pain creates a lot of issues for people, right? I mean, just besides the general not feeling well, um, the impact it has on them socially, especially as an adolescent is big. Um, it can lead to some depression and anxiety as well. Um, it can lead to other pain syndromes, because if you imagine you're chronically hurting, you do, you position and move differently, trying to brace for that pain. Um, and then long-term, it can also lead to infertility. And so that's the other thing that's really important in terms of being proactive so that we can do our, how we know our best science to help to protect their fertility for the future. Are there any other um, conditions that poses endometriosis? Sure, so there's several things. So it's almost in some ways like a diagnosis of exclusion, or again, kind of putting that puzzle piece together. So there's lots of other things when people come in and report pain that we need to rule out and make sure that we're not missing X or Y. And so um, there can be different like abnormalities in like the shape of the uterus or vagina that we need to rule out, and we can do that with imaging. Um, ovarian cysts or tumors um, can certainly present with similar pain symptoms. Um, infection can as well, um, and so we rule out infections. Um, scar tissue, if they've had previous surgeries or previous illnesses that can create scar tissue, it can, can mimic those symptoms too. Yeah. I remember when I got my first period, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what's normal. How difficult is it for a teenage girl who may not have had a period for very long to explain to you if something feels different when they don't really have anything to compare it to? So, <laughs> I mean, it sounds impossible as right. you build this puzzle piece, like right. this might be the hardest part. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it is hard. Right. And I think that sometimes, like I said, the, the ears of listening to your teenager are sometimes different than the ears of listening to a, an adult. And, um, I think that a lot of it is in kind of how they describe it. Right. Um, and then do they respond to normal things? Right. And then sometimes it's just dispelling myths. Right. So oftentimes people think like, well, I don't feel well, I just need to go to bed. Right. So there's actually good data that exercise 
helps to like reduce the prostaglandins. We that hate may, to hear that yeah, one I know, though, right? We, we don't love that <laughs> and one. And so you're like, actually, if you would like, when you're feeling crampy, like go for a walk or mm-hmm. go dance or things like that. It actually, there's good data that makes your symptoms better. Um, even though it may be in the moment, it's like not the idea. We love to hate that data. Though. I, I love data, but like I hate that one. I know, right? I'm going to try it next time. Though. So, so getting up and dispelling those myths and teaching them, maybe we were taught to go to bed, put a hot, hot heat pad on you and go to bed. But so teaching the new generation to be better than us, essentially. And then when they're not responding, right. And then we rely on the parents a lot. That's why we always really encourage them to come to those visits because, um, you know, to hear the parents description of like, because sometimes some kids just start tough, right. And they'll be like, it's Mm -hmm. fine. And the mom's like, well, it's not fine because we've actually like, aren't going to cheer anymore. And, you know, you didn't want to go to like the birthday party last weekend because of your period. And so I think getting sometimes a story the kids don't want to tell us, too, is also important. Do you find that this generation is more open about this type of thing or about the same as we are? Are they nervous to come in and talk about this and they'd rather not tell you their symptoms just to not have to talk about it? Um, I think it's probably the same as it's been. There's, it's a mixed bag. There's some yeah. that are very open, right, and some that are, are much more reserved. And we just try to respect who they are in that moment. I think they probably have access to more information than the previous generation. They can right? Google because their questions Google, at least. Right, yeah. They don't have to look anybody in the eye. Yeah, whether it's good information or bad, <laughs> right? They have access to a lot more information. Well, and this is so, why we do this. Right. You know, maybe they'll stumble upon this information and get their questions answered, make an appointment. Um, I know that you're working really hard to teach this next generation about their bodies and, and all of that and make it a little bit easier to talk about. And I appreciate that as someone who is very nervous to talk about any of this stuff with anybody. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So um, obviously we do that through our practice, right? So, um, you know, some of our practice is treating conditions like endometriosis or surgery. Some of it's just education, right? There's really like, it's just, you know, talking through actually this is normal or not normal. Um, Doing things like this with you guys to help to educate the community. And then we recently did an event um, on a larger scale um, through some funding through UAMS and with the support of Arkansas Children's um, for an event called Girlology. Um, and that one's specifically geared through teaching younger girls really targeted for ages like 8 to 13 about just puberty and like what's normal and what to expect and kind of normalizing that conversation to then encourage them to like um, be empowered to know those things, but then also to have an ongoing conversation with their parents. I love that. We we got a pamphlet thrown at us and everything we learned were from older siblings of our friends. So I love that there's a whole event where you can go and learn with your parents. Yeah. We try to make it fun and not, um, you know, not too, you know, important science, but not so like boring or structured that it feels like it's, you know, preaching. Right. So find that balance. Yeah. I think that you did a really good job finding that balance. I saw the pictures. They were great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today yes, to talk about this. Um, I hope that you all have learned a lot about endometriosis. And I hope anybody that needs the information is able to find this. And you can reach out to us if you have any questions for Dr. Hollenbach. And we'll get back with her and have her back on one day. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. <laughs>